All right, so we're going to get into Philippians 4 tonight. We're going to have some fun. Pastor Dave likes to title his messages, so I gave this one title, A Recipe for Healing Anxiety. And I think there's three key ingredients that we'll find in Philippians 4 as we dig in. Prayer, thankfulness, and joy. If you'll indulge me for just a minute, anybody in here who is anxious about anything, if you would just stand, and you'll notice I'm the first standing. Maybe you're nervous, you're anxious about work, money, relationship, family, decisions of a child. Anybody ever deal with anxiety or fear? Thank you. We're going to talk about how to, how to overcome that with biblical principles. So just keep that in mind as we dig in. Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so, st so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So this is Paul talking to the Philippians, the church at Philippi, and he calls them beloved. Paul cares about these people. And we, as the body of Christ, should care about one another. We should come together. When we get together, we shouldn't be looking at each other and judging each other, coveting what another person might have, judging, not being jealous or angry. And if we ever have problems, shouldn't we come together and unite? God calls us to that. And it's part of that recipe for overcoming anxiety because if we're angry, bitter, envious, anything like that, it's only gonna eat us apart and hurt us. And Paul understands that and he's talking about the Philippians about this. So he says, therefore, my brethren and longed for brethren, my beloved and longed for brethren, he longed to be with them. He treasured relationships over material things. How often do we get sidetracked with things of this world? Right? I didn't become a Christian until 33. I thought I was a Christian before that, but if you looked at my life for about 15 years before that, it didn't resemble Christ. I rarely read the Bible. I rarely prayed. Rarely went to church, big occasions. At times I dug in, maybe in high school a little bit. But then when I dedicated my life to Christ at 33, I realized that he has so much more for me than just the material things of this world. And he's slowly been chiseling away and breaking me of some of the worldly habits that I formed. Many of you are probably like me. You have these worldly habits that you had from decades of living without God. And God's trying to chisel away at those. And a lot of us may be trapped by these materialistic things. Paul understood that relationships are more important than material things. And I pray that anybody who struggles with that, like I do from time to time, more often than I'd like to admit, that we would understand this and see, listen to what Paul's saying. Really what God is saying, right? The Bible is written by God. It was simply penned by men. And he used essentially a terrorist, Paul, right? Saul became Paul. He was a terrorist, persecuting, terrorizing, and even killing Christians. And we're reading about this tonight. How amazing is that? My life before God was awful too. And now it's just less awful, right? It's amazing, and it's joyful, and I love God, but God has done a work in me. And my life before Christ and with Christ is totally different. And I pray that all our lives are like that. And then he says, 
my joy and crown. So therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown. He sees them as his joy, as his prize, as his crown. Paul believes, and I agree with him, that there are rewards for believers. We will be rewarded in heaven for things that we do on earth motivated by Jesus and for his glory, not for our glory. We put our name on a hospital building, no rewards in heaven for that. We get accolades and applauses and we get success and people are just admiring us or longing to be us for whatever we may have achieved. We'll get no points for that in heaven. But the things that we do in this life for Christ, those are the things that'll last. Those are the things we'll get rewarded for. We may experience some reward in this life on earth for some of the things that we do for Christ, but a lot of times we're not. We won't recognize it until we get to heaven or be rewarded for it. A lot of the time when we step out in, in faith and we do things for Christ, motivated for Christ, we'll in fact get what we would consider from a worldly perspective to not be a reward. We'll get persecuted. We maybe get kicked out of a social circle. We may be ignored by our family for things, truth that we try to bring. Maybe we bring it in the wrong way. Maybe we bring it in the right and loving way. But a lot of times when we do things for Christ on this earth, we just won't feel that reward. We'll feel persecution. We'll feel a trial. We'll feel rejected. But that reward awaits you in heaven. Paul knew this, and I believe this with all my heart. He said, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. We're called to endure. This is not a one and done thing. You walk down the aisle when you're 12 years old. You walk down the aisle when you're 72 years old. You say, amen. You sit down and you stand back in the crowd. No, it's just what Joshua said. We are called to be servants, to serve, to submit, to honor, to glorify. That means putting our wants and desires, our worldly wants and desires aside and living for him. And it's worth it. Because I can tell you firsthand, and I bet many of you can too, when you do things for yourself, they may feel good for a minute, for a couple hours, for maybe for a couple days or weeks. But when I do things for Christ, the peace that overcomes me, is just amazing. Just amazing. Planning this church with Dave and Doug and Tim and so many other people, one of the most incredible seasons of my life. After one of the, or right in the midst of one of the hardest seasons of my life, which I'll go into in a minute. Verse two, Philippians 4, 2, I implore, I'm going to screw up these names and forgive me. I implore Yodia and I implore Sintiki to be, say? Sintiki, thank you. To be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also. So, appears that these two women were not united, that something was going on. There was some kind of friction between them. I want you to think about that. How beneficial and powerful are we for Jesus if we're fighting with another believer? What's the one word that unbelievers like to throw around about Christians, probably more than any others? Hypocrites. Right? So they see two Christians, and they're over here bickering and fighting. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. The enemy wants the unbeliever to look at us and say, hypocrite. You say one thing, you do another. Okay? I'm here to tell you, usually, for the most of the time, 
I'm not a hypocrite because what I'm going to tell you is that I am a screw-up. I am a sinner. God tells us what to do. We're going to live, try to live that by that the best that we can, but I'm going to fall short. I'm not going to get all the Ten Commandments perfect. I'm not going to live a perfect life. I'm not going to master my sin. I want to bow down to the master and realize that his blood on the Christ was sufficient to cover me. We're each gifted and we each have unique circumstances in our lives. We're called to work together in unity. We are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the body. I encourage all of us tonight that we would work together, that we would not fight amongst each other. And even with an unbeliever, if anyone in here has any anger, disagreement, anything with anyone in your family, work, fellowship, anything, I pray that you would just lay it down. Let it go. You know, this is something I've come to realize over the past maybe 10 years. I used to think, you know, kind of grandma age, they're all sweet and just amazing and they spoil kids and all this. But in my life, I've come across many who just have this bitterness that's controlled them. And I think it usually arises from some kind of unforgiveness there. Something they haven't let go. Maybe it's with the spouse, maybe it's with the child, maybe it's with the friend, maybe it's with someone in the church. Maybe it's from long ago, their parent. Some grotesque thing there. But I encourage you, if you're holding on to anything tonight, let it go, lay it down. Is that bitterness, or that whatever's going on, it's just going to eat you, and it's going to render you powerless to glorify God. And we want to glorify God. Is that not why we're here? Amen. It was said that the chief end of man is to glorify God. Let's do that. But we can't do it if we're bitter. We can't do it if we're holding on to something. So let's not fight. Let's unite. Verse 3, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me. Women are important, are they not? Amen. You women in the audience, you're important. Amen. Some people say, well, Christianity just subordinates women, and it, uh, it's a blah, blah, blah. No. Many other religions will subordinate women, will treat them as property. If you find Christianity and true Christ followers, you will find women being treated better than in any other part of the world. Amen. Do you know that biblically, men and women are equal? They just have different roles. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, are they equal? Yes. Do they have different roles? Yes. Women are important, and Paul is reiterating that here. So if you feel hurt in any way, and you're a woman, a Christianity, know that God loves you, and you are just as important. Amen. There's no inferiority. There's no superiority or inferiority by one or the other. We just have different roles. And I think Paul is making that strong point so that people understand that. Who did Jesus show himself to first when he rose from the dead? Women. All right. And as a personal example of how important women are, my wife took several days to pack. We traveled with four of our kids here, one a three-and-a-half-month-old in the back, She's literally taking days, writing things out. We've got suitcases full of stuff, me. 
five minutes in my closet just throwing all the stuff in a suitcase, right? We, we wouldn't have made it. We, if it was just up to me, we'd have got here and I'd been like, where are the bottles? Where, where's this? Where's that? I wouldn't have had anything. And I, you know, I'd have just had this to wear the whole time. So uh, women are important, very, very important. And Paul's calling that out here. <laughs> and uh, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers. So you see, Paul recognizes that he didn't labor alone. This person, Paul, is encouraging them to understand that it's not about him, it's about Jesus. It's not about what he did, it's about what Jesus did. It's not about who he is, but whose he is. And no matter what Pastor Dave or Joshua or Dave, Doug or Tim or any of you, and I don't know everybody's name, uh, I used to know everybody's name when we planted the church 11 years ago, but no matter what you do, you're not doing it alone. This tent is not here because of man, these chairs, these seats filled, beautiful people in the room, not here because of one person, but a collective effort of people who are driven by God. We do this together. We get to unite and go through this together. You know what's so powerful about that? As we're, we're going to read about in a minute, when you really get anxious or sad, you, don't have, you, have, you can understand that you're not in this alone. You have people that can rally around you. And that's why God encourages us to encourage each other, to lift each other up, to edify each other, not to beat each other down, not to point, not to feel better than another person. You're not alone. All of you have gone through, are going through, or will go through a very difficult season in your life. And you're going to need people around you. And that's why we build community, because you can't go through that alone. You can try, a few people do it. I don't know how they do it without God and without community. But I can tell you when we've gone through our hardest times in our life, we've had that Christian community around us and it's been life-saving. And we thank y'all for that. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Two times right there, the word rejoice. This is one of those, what I call three ingredients of, heal, of healing uh, anxiety. And for a baker, you know, my kids love to bake now. I love to make cookies and muffins and all sorts of stuff, right? You can throw in your other ingredients. If you're like, I want to add some vanilla extract. I want to add some other things. These are just three things that really stuck out to me in this lesson. So I'm going to kind of focus on them a little bit. But if you want to throw in some other things, uh, that's totally fine. But here we're looking at joy. You know, I think one of the greatest things that Satan and his demons, I call them his little minions, do, is they want us to be anxious. They want to take away our joy because how effective is your testimony going to be if you're not joyful? Effective? Not effective, right? I'll be the first to admit this. I have days where I'm either stressed, overworked, or busy, which the devil loves us to be busy, and God's urging me to pray for someone, to go and witness to someone. And I just know that I won't be that effective at that moment because I don't have the joy in my heart at that moment. That's, that's what Satan does. And do you know where Satan wants you to live? In the past or in the future. He wants you to live in the past, focus on guilt or regret. Or he wants you to live in the future, which is anxiety and fear, and worry, which are all kind of one and the same. 
Where does God want you to live? For today is the day of salvation. He wants to blanket you with anxiety in the future. But God, through Paul, is going to give us this recipe here, and he's telling us to rejoice, to be joyful. And one of the greatest ways I think we can pray is to ask God to give us joy. How often do you pray that? How often do I pray that? Preparing for this lesson, I'm thinking to myself, I need to pray more often that God would just give me joy today. It's so cute watching my kids pray and learn to pray and have a great day and a wonderful day, and I love those. Just loving hearing them talk about anything that's about God. May we all pray that we have better joy, that we express that joy, because that is what one of the greatest things that the enemy is trying to do is steal our joy to render us useless and powerless. May we pray for that joy. Verse five, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So he calls us to be joyful and gentle. The devil wants us to be anxious and harsh. May we recognize it when we are anxious, when we are harsh. Does that mean you're not a Christian? No. Does it mean you live in this flesh still, right? Paul said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, I feel him when he says that. My flesh is so weak and fails me so often. But like Pastor Dave says, it should be that, that conviction should be that slap on the head. And the more I walk with Christ, the more mature I become, the harder and the quicker that slap on the head should be. So I should be like, okay, what I just did is not what I want. I want to do different. I want to be different. I want to be more effective for Jesus. So Lord, please help me. Verse six. So before I go into verse six, I'll go into a personal, very personal um, episode. So Jen and I had met Pastor Dave and Lynette uh, right when they, well, I think probably right when they moved back down here. And uh, we had struck up a friendship. We had had dinner with them at a Seder dinner at Pastor Rob's church and uh, just talked in the lobby and stuff. But where God really intertwined our hearts was when Jen and I uh, went to the hospital to have our second child. And unlike any of our, and my wife has been pregnant about 11 or 12 times, but unlike any of our other pregnancies, this is the only one where the doctors several times said this is a textbook pregnancy. We go into the hospital and there's no heartbeat. And that was the hardest season we've ever gone through in our entire lives. Pastor Rob was, I think, out of town. Pastor Dave dropped everything, came up to the hospital, and just held us, witnessed to us, cried with us, and God knitted our hearts together. Hardest season of my life, hardest thing we've gone through. We've had another really hard thing since then as well. But these next two verses really kept me sane, kept me going, helped me endure So I want you to see the importance that they are to me so that if you're going through that now or you go through something in the future, that these might comfort you like they brought comfort to me and still do today. Verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now that is powerful. And I would recite that verse dozens and dozens of times a day. Pull over on the side of the road driving. I was driving and traveling my business. Have to pull over because I, I couldn't even drive my car because tears were streaming down my face and it wasn't safe to drive. Went on for months and months and months. But God used these verses. So they're very important uh, to me. So be anxious for nothing. I think Americans' greatest addiction is not drugs, alcohol, cigarettes. It's the addiction to being worried, anxiety. I think Satan's done a work on America, on Americans, to getting us to think about the future, to be anxious. We see that car we wish we had. We're anxious that we don't have it and when we, and when we have it. We see that house that we wish we had. We're fearful that we may never have anything like that, that we've worked so hard and we may not get there and achieve this or achieve that. We may not be as popular as this person. I stand up here before you and I struggle with many things along those lines. But God reminds me, do not be anxious. We just had a move with a three and a half month old and lots of kids and stuff going on. We moved about six miles away and I should have been 100% anxious. I was probably about 40% anxious. We had just so much going on at the time. But God really reduced that anxiety and it was something I had to pray to have God help me with throughout that process because it is a lot going on. And God wants us not to ask, why God? Why me? And play that victim card, right? How often do we do that? Something happens. We lose a job. We lose a loved one. Something happens. It's like, why me? I, I'm going to church. I'm doing this. But he's refining you, right? You crush to get a diamond. You squeeze a lemon to get lemonaded. And when you squeeze a Christian, what should you see? Christ. That's right, right? It's those trials and those times when we get refined by the fire where we really get to find out if we love Jesus or we're going to walk away. There's lots of people. Maybe you were one of them at some point and you came back. Maybe you know someone who used to come to church with you, you grew up with. They just, life got hard and they walked away. They're like, a loving God would not allow this. It's one thing we hear from a lot of unbelievers. Well, how could a loving God allow this or this or this? Because a loving God allows us to be tested. My kids often trying to figure out things in life and hot stoves and stuff. And we can tell them so many times, don't touch that hot stove. Right? Gracie one time reached over and burned herself. I didn't want her to burn herself. But she learned the lesson, right? You're like, that's what it means. Right? We have to get burned sometimes so that we can understand what pain looks like. And you know what? Does God waste pain? He does not. He does not waste pain. He wants you to use that pain to go deep in relationship with him. So many of these motivational speakers that you see out there get hired because they have some kind of crazy accident in their life. They lost a limb. They were in war. 
Something happened. They overcame something. But they used that pain for good. They used that pain and they endured and overcame. Well, God wants to take whatever pain you've had, whatever pain you're experiencing, whatever pain you may experience in the future, and he wants to use it to glorify God. And he gives us all different kinds of pain. For some, it may be a divorce, a death of a very close one, a spouse, a child, losing a job. Some people in my men's group have uh, lost jobs. Uh, one man who uh, was uh, early 60s, was out of work for two years, super smart, like genius level. And he says this is one of the best things that's ever happened to him. He came closer to Christ through that. That's not wasting pain. That's using pain. It's not like you just, it happens and you're just like, this is great. I'm so happy for my circumstances, you know? My house burned down and blah, blah, blah. I'm so happy. But if we understand that there's purpose behind it, we may not understand the purpose, but there's purpose. And God doesn't want that pain to be wasted. So he says, be anxious for what? Be anxious for? Say it loud. Be anxious for? Amen. But in everything by prayer and supplication, is he saying, but sometimes, but in everything, all the time, by prayer and supplication. Prayer, that's one of our major ingredients for this recipe. So let's look at that. God wants us to be in communication with him. As Pastor Dave says, I love it. He's like, I pick up the phone with Jesus, you know, put him on speakerphone and talk to him all day long. I'll share an example of me learning what prayer is and how to pray. I grew up and I'm not saying anything about the church or my parents or anything like that, but I just kind of, we prayed at mealtimes and prayed at bedtime. Maybe we prayed at other times and I just don't remember it. But I remember my wife, before she was my wife, and uh, would, was one time, maybe it was a couple times, in a room with her and her mom. And her mom was like, well, let me pray for y'all before you go. And I'm thinking, okay, do we need to like go to a you know, church to do this or something. And she's, you know, I'm going to do it right there. You don't, have to, you don't have to be a special place to pray. This is the middle of the day. And she did it with her eyes open. I'm, I'm looking around, I'm like, we pray with our eyes closed. You know, maybe as a kid, you peek around, see who's doing what. But you can literally talk, because praying is talking, right? You can just talk to God all day long. Walking up the stairs, in the elevator, working out. I pray in my head when I'm meeting with clients. Lord, help me to be, to endure with this tough client. Help me to show love to this client. Lord, help me to pray with this client. Show me what they need prayer for. Just things in my head. God wants you to communicate with him. And prayer is the way to do that. One of the things a lot of people don't understand is that they think that God just, a prayer changes God's mind. Prayer is not to change God's mind, it is to change your heart. Amen. If you say something out loud, you understand it better. You're kind of more accountable to yourself, if you will. So pray and talk to God. Pray in groups. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your kids. You can never pray too much, can you? I mean, really, can you? You can't. No one's ever got hurt by praying too much. So may we understand just the power of prayer there. And it says, by prayer and supplication. Supplication, this is petitioning God and asking him to carry you, to guide you, to strengthen you. So many people think that a real man leads by uh, 
arched back and a strong voice and maybe yelling if it's necessary. But how does a true man lead? On his knees. I learned that when I became a father. Pastor showed me that in Houston. I was like, that is what I want. I want to be a man on my knees, petitioning God to help me to raise him and now my other children to the best of my ability and beyond my ability. Because I'm not a perfect father. They'll tell you. They could get up here and tell you stories, right? I won't do that. But I try my best. And I'm going to tell you one of the best learning, uh, what I think is one of the best learning experiences for them is when I fail as a father, when I lose my temper, when I raise my voice, when I'm just not the godly man that I want to be. And they'll, I think, be the first to tell you that I look at them and I say, you know what? That was not reflective of God. That was reflective of me and my flesh, and I screwed up. Will you forgive me? And I think those are some of the best teaching. My daughter's over here saying, yep, there you go, Dad. <laughs> those are some of the best teaching moments for them, and they're humbling moments for me. May we lead from our knees, fathers. May we lead from our knees just as a community and as a church. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. This is the other main ingredient, thanksgiving. It's not just once a year, folks. How many of you give thanks during a trial? It's hard, right? Thank you for this, hor- what we say from a worldly perspective, this horrible thing that's going on in my life. But can we give thanks? And what do we give thanks really for? Are we thanking God for the hard circumstances? No. We're thanking God that in spite of what's going on, we're trusting that he has a bigger plan. Not just for our life, but for those who are watching us. Because so many people that I've read about in books, that I've talked to, that I've heard speak, they came to Christ because they watched a Christian just get squeezed and squeezed, and they didn't break. They still had joy. They still had trust. They still had faith. And that person said, I want that. May we be those people that when we get squeezed, we're thankful knowing that God has a bigger plan, that he has something for us that we don't even know. And that reward may not be on this earth. This is not the name it and claim it doctrine, right? You go through that trial and you stand fast and you will be blessed and rewarded. (laughs) You might be, or you might be materially blessed or whatever, earthly blessed. That has nothing to do with that. But in heaven, your crown awaits you. And people are watching. People are watching us all the time. And we will fail. And when we do fail, one of the best things we do, just like with my kids, is to find that person, that employer, that colleague, that employee, that neighbor, and say, you know what? I failed the other day when I did that. When I yelled at you. When I sent that bad email, whatever. Will you forgive me? Right, you can do it with people who aren't just your spouse or your children, because others are watching too. Others are watching too. Even the self-help gurus get this, right? A lot of the Buddhists, a lot of the self-help gurus, they're like, well, first thing you should do in the morning, get up and make your, thanks, your, uh, your thankful list, write down the things you're thankful for. Where do you think they get that from? The Bible. 
Where do most great concepts come from? The Bible. Most world religions are built off of the Bible. They're like, we like this, and we like, we don't like this, and we're just going to change that a little bit, you know what I'm saying? But they get that. They get a lot of things wrong. That's one thing they've taken from the Bible that we as Christians want to be great at is giving thanks. Because if we can't give, be thankful, oh, it's going to be hard to be joyful. And we're probably going to have a lot of anxiety about the future. So, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Made known to God? Wait, I thought God was omniscient, knew everything. Why do I have to make it known to God? Maybe I could just hide it from him. Yeah. Maybe I can do some other things and just hide it from him. Maybe he won't see me looking at my phone late at night. Maybe he won't see me blah, blah, blah. Oh, he knows. Adam and Eve sinned. God's in the garden. He's like, hey, where are you? Did he lose them? No. Did he know where they were? Yes. So why did he ask that? He said, that's for us. It's for us to think about. God knows right where we are. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going to do before we do it. We still have free will. Oh, he's smart. He knows. So we, he wants us to talk to him and make it known. Because again, like prayer, it's going to open our hearts. It's going to teach us something when we make our petition known to God. He already knows, but he wants to hear it. And do you know what, when we pray, what it smells like to God? That sweet smelling aroma? You know, the, the incense that the Catholic Church does, which is a cool representation of they, they do that to say, here's the sweet smell to God, essentially, right? Because when he hears our prayers, they're lifting up and glorifying Jesus. Oh, he just loves it. Let's be thankful. Let's be thankful. More thankful, church. And verse 7. So finishing on, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7. And the peace of God. Grace and peace of the Siamese twins in the Bible. You got to appreciate and understand the grace of God before you can really experience the peace of God. This is not the 1970s kumbaya, peace to all, world peace type deal, right? That's a great slogan, slap it on the back of your car. But I'm talking real, lasting, deep-seated peace. When my daughter died, there was a peace that came over me that I can't explain that is only explained by the fact that God loves me and I was calling on him and I had godly people surrounding me. The greatest pain of my life, but it was a time in my life when I also experienced the greatest peace. I can't explain it. And that's exactly what we're learning here. It's just a peace you can't explain. How could you have peace in such a hard circumstance? But that's because the power of God. Because he gets our minds focused on heavenly things, not earthly things. Earthly things, they're going to rust, they're going to rot. You can't take them with you no matter how much or how little you have. When you get to heaven, the streets are going to be paved with gold. There's going to be jewels everywhere. And we think, we get all excited about that. We're like, yay! But you're going to get up there and you're going to be like, I don't even care about that stuff anymore. I just want to go hang out with Jesus some more. Go hang out with some more of these friends that I want to meet. 
hang out with Paul and Moses and Noah and all that stuff, right? It's going to be so cool. But we've got to be heavenly minded. And I also want to encourage everybody to put on their biblical glasses. We want to see the world through Jesus' eyes, the lens of Jesus. Because before I dedicated my life to Christ at 33, which is 15 years ago, I had worldly lenses. I'm telling you. That was it. I wanted material things. I wanted to party. And then God changed my life. And then I learned what a worldview is. Never even heard the term. Or or if I heard it, I didn't even think about it. And now I think about it all the time. And I, I see the world. My worldview is completely different than it used to be. And I'm grateful for that. But we want to look out there, make sure we're looking through the right lens. Because if we're not, we're going to get caught up looking at this earthly stuff, this material stuff, and it's just going to try and suck us in. It really is. So we have to be cognizant of that. But this inexplicable peace, it's available. And if you're going through something, just give it to God. And I don't just mean a slogan. I mean truly give it to God and trust that he's going to redeem it all in heaven. And you'll, you'll understand how your pain was used for the glory of God. All things work together for good to those who love God. Right? We believe that. God tells us that. And so it goes hand in hand with this, what we're talking about. So it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Guard you from what? From worldly circumstances. From the demons whispering in your ear, trying to make you fearful and worried. You know, that's their job, right? They're going around, and they're trying to get you to focus on the future. They want you to be anxious. Because if they can get you to be anxious, you're going to be powerless to tell someone about Jesus. No one's going to listen to you. You're going to be like, why, why would I listen to you? Right? Would you take get-rich advice by, from someone who has seven bankruptcies? And they've never made it? Seriously. Right? And that's kind of like a person who's always anxious and angry and walking around. I think Pastor Dave said like they've been sucking on lemons, right? You're not going to listen to them. But if someone comes up and they're joyful and they're loving and they're kind, you're going to be more likely to listen to them. And what I always, the, the, the easy way I remember this is to think about show and tell. Who in here remembers show and tell from like, I don't know, kindergarten, something like that, right? You get up there and you show and you say, here's my teddy bear. And you show it and then you tell about it. Well, Christianity is show and tell. Show me your deeds and then tell me. Because no one's going to listen to what I have to say until they actually see a difference in my life. So I want to show the good deeds motivated by Jesus so that I can tell them about Jesus. And remember, we're not saved by our deeds. We are saved for our deeds. Your deeds are not the root of salvation, but the fruit of salvation. So may we use our bodies as the hands and feet of Jesus so that people can, who don't actually get to see Jesus, like none of us actually get to see Jesus right now, but we get to be the best representation of him as we can, be in the hands and feet of him so that people can see him to the best of our ability to represent that with the Holy Spirit living through us so that we then have the ability to share and witness 
and share the gospel with them. Share that truth. Because if we're anxious, mm, they're probably not going to listen. Then it says, we'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace doesn't come through the Book of Mormon or Joseph Smith or the Quran or Muhammad or through deified people, but only through the blood of Christ. Right? Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So we've got prayer, thanksgiving, and joy. Now we kind of see what it looks like to live this out and get in the mindset. So he says, finally, brethren. He says, brethren, again, it's one family, one body, the body of Christ. We should encourage each other, edify each other, lift each other up, not be fighting, not be jealous of each other. Whatever things are true, true. That word in this culture, in this country, whew, right? It's this, this culture in this country is largely based on feelings now. Well, I feel like feelings change. Cultures change. Truth does not. One plus one will always be two. Two plus two will always be four. Cultural norms change, right? We're talking about this in men's group last week that, you know, some in the the China, I think it's the geisha or certain other communities see that squeeze their feet into these little shoes because big feet are unattractive. We look at that and we're like, ew. And then some cultures will look at our like body piercings or tattoos or something and be like, ew, right? That's just feelings. I'm not talking about truth. We're talking about truth right here. And if only more people could see that this is the truth. And trust me, some of those people who are living by feelings have come to know that this is the truth. I'm one of them. I used to live my life based on feelings. Now I know the truth. And the truth sets us free. And I see the world through biblical lenses. And if you see things going on in society, the majority of the time, it's 180 degrees from where, the Bible, where, where God stands, where the Bible stands. Abortion, homosexuality, you, you, you name it. You bring up some kind of... Uh, PC, cultural thing, and almost certainly it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is telling us is the truth. So may we be swayed by the truth and not by feelings. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, means honorable, whatever things are just, it's righteous. Remember that we are righteous, not because we are righteous, but because Jesus is declares us to be righteous. God sees us as righteous because he looks at us and he sees Jesus. Isn't that cool? He doesn't look at me and see all my sins. By the way, I don't sin anymore. All right, I just did. That's a lie, right? So I'll continue to sin, but I still look sinless to God the Father because I have the best attorney in the world, Jesus. He's saying, my client's not guilty. You see this, all these sins that were on this paper? I wiped it with my blood, and you can't see any of them anymore. And it's forgiven as far as the east is from the west. You know why it's the east from the west and not the north is from the south? 
the north and the south, so you have a north pole and a south pole. This is starting to finish. East is from the west. It's infinite, right? Jesus died on the cross like this. He loves you. He wants to hug you. And for anybody in this room who doesn't come running to him, the way I picture it is he's just waiting there with his arms wide open saying, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're not lost if you don't know him. He's not lost. He still knows everything you think. You just turn to him. You may have walked a thousand steps away from him, but it only takes one step back. And he's just waiting there with his arms wide open to hug you. And if you're going through pain, you're anxious, turn to him. He loves you. He wants to hug you. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good or poor, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So he's talking about how we should live and how we should think. How we should think. Can we control our thoughts? Do we have free will to do that? We do. We do. Can we also control some of the things that go into our mind? Yeah. Can we control all the things? No. There's things that you see and you just can't unsee. There's a car wreck in front of you. You can't unsee it. It happened. But there's other things that we can kind of moderate or control about what we put in our mind. Certain TV shows, certain people we may hang out with, certain things that especially men may look at on their computers or phone. We can control a lot of that garbage in because what happens is we get that garbage in and it's more likely to affect us and have that garbage come out. We watch some things on TV that I, you know, we probably might not should be watching. We want to get better about our intake, all of us, right? We all do probably do something that we just, we could do better at. We got to be careful with that. Happy hour, right? A lot of people be like, all right, five o'clock, let's go to happy hour. What do people typically do at happy hour? Get a drink, but besides that, what do they do? They gossip, they complain about their job and their employers and not getting a promotion, company's not going anywhere and blah, blah, blah. It's just people, you know, barking like dogs or quacking like ducks and complaining. That's not very happy, right? It's just another example of something that we need to be cognizant of. What are we doing? Is it, is it glorifying God? Is it, is it going to edify us, encourage us, and make us stronger in our faith and in our walk? Or is it more likely to potentially poison our minds? So it's one thing we want to think about is how, what we let into our minds, how we kind of regulate that. And two, then what do we do with the thoughts that are in our minds? This is not mind control or anything crazy like that. It's just saying, like Pastor Dave says, that head slap. Once it's in there and I start thinking about something, do I just go down that rabbit hole? Or do I try to stop and say, Lord, help me with this. I don't want this thought right now. I know I saw that person's car, that person's house or their job or their promotion, but I don't want to go and let it ruin my day. A guy sees a girl, something like that, their mind starts wandering. You can stop it. 
It doesn't make it easy, but it's the right thing to do to stop, right? We can help control and regulate some of those bad things that are in our mind because the devil wants you to meditate on those bad things and just start creating all these scenarios in your mind. And God wants us to say, nope, pray to me right now. Stop thinking about that, whatever it is. And then this word meditate. Really? The word meditates in the Bible? It is. It's right here. This is not Buddhist meditation, which I would akin to the emptying of the mind. This is the filling of the mind with the things of God. That we think about things that are noble and true and pure and just. And really focus on that. Because that will help us make better decisions for the glory of God. Christian meditation, it doesn't require you sitting on the floor and crossing your legs a certain way and breathing a certain way. It's simply filling your mind with the things of the Holy Spirit. Filling your mind with the things of God. And I'll tell you what, if I think about things that are true and noble and just and lovely, I have a lot more peace than if I'm thinking about things that are making me anxious. If I'm thinking about someone's car, house, job, promotion, this, that, vacation, look at everybody's on vacation and they're beautiful and Facebook and social media is so great, right? Right? Oh, wow. Craziness. Um, So we want to meditate on the things of God in a good Christian way. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. So the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in in me, these do. I love that. It almost kind of sounds like Yoda from Star Wars, right? These do. Um, So (laughs) teaching, uh, we kind of talked about that, but what he's saying is do these things. You want people to see your good, good deeds, and you want to follow those good deeds up with the things of Jesus. If people only see you doing good things, they're just gonna think you're a quote unquote good person. But if they then hear you following up and telling them about Jesus, then you go from being a good person to being an interesting person that they want to get to know, because why are you doing these good things that are motivated by a God? Of course, the God, right? But we want those questions to arise. We want them to go dig deeper and be like, you're different. You don't go to happy hour and complain with us. Something bad happens to you and you don't just cry and go out and get hammered and run away. You still have joy. And you get surrounded by these people who edify you. Where do you find these people? Right, that's what we want. That's what we want to strive for. It's great community, loving God, even in the hard times. It says, and the God of peace will be with you. Unbelie- uh, we talked about that. All right. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you care for me, your care for me has flourished again. Though you, sh- though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So he's saying, I rejoiced, there's joy again, in the Lord. We're rejoicing not in our successes, but in God. Greatly now that now at last you, your care for me has flourished again. So he's humbling himself. He was, in fact, nourishing them with the word of God, yet Paul says that they were caring for him. Again, he's not this person up there saying, 
worship me, idolize me, right? It's all about me. No, he's saying it's about all of us. We co-labored together. Men, women, you shared in the finances. And we want to do that. Because no one, this church doesn't happen without lots of people. And it certainly doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit. It says, but you lacked opportunity. So they craved to help him, and they did so. But perhaps it wasn't as much as they would have liked to have given. Or perhaps it didn't arrive to him uh, when it was supposed to have arrived for some reason. So some commentators could, could be either of those. But you know what? God sees the heart of the person. God doesn't care if you give more or, or uh, more than the person next to you. He cares where your heart is. It's about are you willing to part with that money? Are you willing to help a missionary? I've heard some people say, some pastors even say, hey, you can either pray, you can pay, or you can go. You should be doing all three. Let me, let me explain. You should pray because we can always pray. You can pay because everybody can pay. Even my kids who have a couple bucks can pay a dime or 25 cents or a dollar, right? The widows might. And you can always go. Why do I say that? The Great Commission. Richard Starnes calls it the hole in the gospel. Great book if you haven't read it. Go therefore and make disciples. Do you have to go to India and make disciples? You have to go to El Salvador and make disciples. Can you make disciples at work? I know you can. Can you make disciples with your neighbor? Or of your neighbor? Yeah. At home. With children, with spouses, with parents. There's no limit to how many people you can positively affect with the, with the power of the gospel. And you don't even have to go within a couple hundred feet of your house, maybe a couple miles. Now, if God's calling you to go further and go to El Salvador or Honduras or Africa or anything like that, go. But don't think it's one or the other. Like, well, I'm paying, so I don't have to do my, uh, my duty of going. God calls you to do this. Does that save you? Does that get you into heaven? No. But if you love Jesus, you have this burning desire to tell people about him. But if you're like me, that burning desire is somewhat quenched until you get the comfort level and you've done it. Some of you are just blessed with evangelism. It's not me. But some people can just walk down the street, walk into a Home Depot and just start telling someone about Jesus. That's not me. But I can tell you what I've experienced. The more I've stepped out in faith and done it, the more bold I become, the better I become at doing it, and the more I enjoy it because I'm not as fearful of it. So I encourage you to talk to people about Jesus. I think one of the, I'll just share a couple of anecdotal things that have worked extremely well for me. Because I would go and I'd be like, I want to witness more. Lord, teach me to evangelize. And I'd write out my testimony. It'd be five pages, then two pages. I'm like, this is too long. So one of the easiest things I've ever done is just ask to pray for people. You probably do this all the time, but you might not follow through on it. Here's what I mean. Someone tells you something happened. Dog died, parent died, job, kid problem. And you say, I'll pray for you on that. Typically, they'll say, thank you but I want you to take it to the next step. And it's so simple, so simple. Just say, can I pray for you now? Amen. Try it. Do it tomorrow. 
Say, can I pray for you now? And as you do that, you'll see how easy it is. I think in all the years I've start, since I've started doing that, I've only had one or two people say, no, thank you. And that was the worst they did. They didn't hit me. They didn't punch me. They didn't put me in jail. They just said, no, thank you. Totally fine. Okay, so I encourage you to do that. It's a great thing that all of us can be doing. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 11, now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base and I know how to, to abound. Content. For me, that's another word for joy. And Paul, he was in prison. There were times when he had nothing. There were times when he had plenty. But he learned to be content. How are we doing on that, church? You see, the devil wants us to be anxious. Back to this whole anxiety thing. Because if we're anxious, we're not content. And if we're not content, no one's going to listen to us. But the key is this. Not the key. I want you to think about this. If you're content and you have everything you want, let's just make an easy example. Let's say it's money. You hit your number. Would you be content if you no longer had that number, that money? That's a question for you to think about. And if you're saying, I don't have this money and I need it to be content, would you be content if you got there? God wants us to be content wherever we are. To plant, to grow where he's planted us for the moment, for that season. Maybe it's a plenty and a bound. Maybe it feels like nothing. But as a Christian, you never have nothing. You always have everything. We may feel like we have nothing from a worldly standpoint, but we have everything from a heavenly standpoint. Again, you're going to be walking on gold that is so pure, it's transparent. And you won't even care about it. And all this stuff on earth won't matter. A lot of the money we leave behind will probably cause more problems anyways. Fighting amongst children, drug, fueling drug addictions, anything like that. So let's be about God's work. Then he says in the back half of verse 12, everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So he's repeating that. 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The sound, be anxious for nothing. He's saying he can do all things. Can you do all things if you're anxious? Probably not. I can tell you, anxiety can cripple you. When I was out here in California, it was one of the hardest seasons in my life, not just because of my daughter. That was just horrible icing on a horrible cake. But I had a tremendous amount of anxiety. Love Jesus. Love the church, plan of the church. One of the highlights of my life. But I had a lot of anxiety I was dealing with in my life. It took time for God to chisel away with, at me. I had so much baggage from my former life 
And it was a former life, right? When I accepted Christ, I died. I'll never die again. When I take my last breath on this earth, I don't die. I just take my next breath in heaven. Right? A believer is born twice and dies only once. You're born of your mother's womb. You die when you accept Christ. Jesus took your place on the cross, but you are dead, and you are born and raised to the newness of life. You'll never die again. You just take your last breath here on the spinning rock, and you wake up in a much, much better place. And that is what we all have. So it don't matter what you got in your bank, don't matter what you think someone else has, we want to be content and joyful. And every time I teach, and every time I do this, there's a mirror right in front of me because I still struggle with some of these things. But God is good. And he loves us. And he's always working on something. We all got something to work on. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. That's like the little train who could. Do all things. Is that some things? All things. That means the good, the bad, the sad. Through Christ. Through Christ. That means you're not alone. This ain't about a football player. Pounding their, pounding their chest saying, look at me, right? This is a team effort. That's why Jesus created us. That's why God created us. Why would he create us if he knew we were just going to turn and be sinful and make all these bad decisions? Because he wanted to love us, and he wanted us to fall in love with him. And he loved us enough to not make us robots and force us to, uh, to love him, but he gave us free will to choose, to willingly choose Salvation is universally offered on the cross, but it must be individually accepted. And if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray that tonight is the night that you dedicate your life or rededicate your life. Where did my place go? Through Christ who strengthens me. Where does our strength come from? From the, from the rock. From God. Do you believe this verse? You believe you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? If so, we don't need to be anxious. Right? It's easy to read. It's easy to, under, easy to understand. It's hard to put in play. Christian grace, the grace of God. Some people say it's too easy to become a Christian, it's got to be more than that. my mind, it's the easiest thing and the hardest thing out there. And thought of an analogy as I was preparing. It's like a nuclear bomb. To push the button for a nuclear bomb is easy, right? That person just pushes a button. But the things going through their mind, knowing that, what, hundreds of thousands or millions of people might die, that's hard. So coming to Christ, it's easy. All you have to do is declare Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, but how hard is it to say, I'm not God. I have to submit. I have to serve. I have to not seek the applaud of man. I have to lay down my life. That's hard. 
It's obviously so hard that it keeps the masses away. Right? The road to the road to eternal life is narrow. But yet it's so easy. So we read these things. We study them, we restudy them, we hear them, we want to rehear them. Because just like any professional athlete, they don't just do it once and say, man, I threw the perfect pass, I'm good, right? They go and they throw that perfect pass over and over and over. Jack Nicklaus, or one of the great golf players said, you know, why, what makes you so different? And they're like, I hit whatever the number was, 5,000 golf balls a day, right? So what are we doing as the body of Christ to better ourselves? Well, I can tell you something. You're here and it's a Thursday night, so I'm pretty sure you're doing it. You get a Sunday and you get a lot of people who are going because they think they need to be there. Their wife pulled them along. Their parents brought them because they're in town from college or something. But you're doing it right here. And we want to keep doing that. And we want to strengthen each other and we want to be in unity. So yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was imagining also preparing for this. Satan walking to and fro and having a conversation with God, just like he does, did with Job, right? Y'all know that scene, right? And I can see Satan just nowadays going up to God and being like, hey, what about Harry? I'm going to go after Harry or Deb or Sue or whatever. Is there any Harry, Deb or Sue? All right. And, uh, and God's like, what? What about him? He's like, well, I'm going to make him anxious. They're not going to tell anybody about Jesus. God says, go for it. What are you going to do? Well, for this one, I'm going to cause strife in their marriage. For this one, I'm going to take away a loved one. For this one, I'm going to take away their work because they put so much pride in their work. God's like, all right, let's see what they got. Let's see it. And God knows how it's going to end up. But I can just envision that conversation with Satan and God and Satan coming down. And how beautiful will it be when he tries to attack you and he brings it like he brought it with Job. And Satan just goes back to God and says, man, I give up. This one's too good. I can't make him anxious. I can't make her anxious. They keep praising you. That's the one we want to be. Be anxious for, I can do all things through. Amen. If you'll indulge me, if anybody, and we had a few stand up earlier, if anybody wants to declare that they want to get better at a healing from any anxiety, if you would stand up. If anybody wants to let go of anything that has been holding them back, any type of anger, resentment, Bitterness, would you please stand up? If anybody hasn't ever accepted Christ and you want to make tonight the night, would you please stand up? And I'm standing myself. You're not alone. None of you are alone. We're in this together. God calls us here. God wants us to encourage each other. He wants us to give thanks. No matter what you're anxious about, give thanks. Thank God for the outcome, even if you don't get to see it on the, in this earth. He'll tell you about it when you get to heaven. 
May we be people who are filled with joy and contentment, regardless of the circumstances. May we celebrate God together. God bless y'all. Have a wonderful night.